Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip interviews business and finance guru Ade Okanubi. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. I got a guest today, y'all. It's Ade Okanubi. We're going to be talking about like buying businesses today because Ade is multi-talented, but he recently completed his first, well, maybe not your first private equity deal, but you recently com- completed a private equity deal. And um, and I wanted to ask you about that whole process, right? Cause a, lot of, a lot of folks are talking about doing deals or want to do a deal and um, and doing deals is different than buying stocks, right? So there's a whole lot more involved in it. So I just wanted to get your perspective on on that process. So thanks for taking time out to talk to me today. Sure thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm happy to do it. So but yeah, it's uh, not my first private equity deal, but it is my first private equity as in my own personal equity. So yeah, for all intents and purposes, it actually probably is my first <laughs> first real deal when you got skin in the game. So how how'd you get into the space? What what you know? Um. So I mean, I have a very cookie cutter kind of background in terms of finance. Uh, Princeton undergrad, then went and worked at a hedge fund uh, before uh, before business school. The hedge fund I worked at, I was an equities trader. Um, I traded plain old equities, uh, equity derivatives, so options, and then high yield bonds and some credit default swaps. Um, during that time, kind of realized that the guys making the decisions were guys that understood how to assess businesses, assess the value, the intrinsic value, as it's called. So I went I went on to get my MBA at Harvard Business School and then transitioned out of the capital market side of things. So to your point about buying stocks and things like that, transitioned from that side to the advisory side uh, in investment banking. Um, after after Harvard Business School, I worked for Credit Suisse in their M&A group up in New York. So we would basically pitch these deals, make pitch books, advise on deals. Um, I worked in their M&A group for two years. And after that, just kind of needed something different, realized that during my time there, then I realized that, OK, the guys that understand how to value businesses and the guys that actually know how to run businesses are two different people. But the guys that run them kind of have a lot of the fun and the work-life balance, and but there also weren't people that could kind of do both in a way. Mm. There were a couple of people that could do the whole finance thing, and then of course there are people that know how to run businesses. But very few people could kind of jump back and forth very easily. So um, I had interest in running businesses, so I, I kind of I linked up eventually with a private equity fund down here called Arcus Equity, which is basically a sub of Fortress Investment Group, and. It was a mix of underwriting investments and then also managing property. So this was a golf uh, private equity fund. So we basically acquired several portfolios um, coming out of the you know the Great Recession, I guess it's called. Um, so I, I got I got a lot of hands-on experience, kind of managing those and getting a better understanding of <clears throat> the system and process that leads to sustainable cash flows. Because at the end of the day, like I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm a I'm a finance guy through and through. That's really who I am. Um, but, you know, for a business to become valuable, the cash flow has to be there. And most importantly, the cash flow has to be consistent. 
Um, so my time in private equity with Arcus allowed me to kind of develop some skills with with regards to putting systems and processes in place to do so. Um, then after that, I went on and worked for a family business here locally in Dallas that was a cutting tool distributor. And, you know, I spent four years there as their chief operating officer getting very, very, you know, that's, you went from, that's like going from a, you know, an $85 million department down to a $10 million business. Um, so it's a lot of very, you know, front lines, line of scrimmage kind of mm-hmm. blocking and tackling there. Spent four years there. The company did very well. And then I kind of took, you know, my wages, if you will, and then decided to bet on myself. Dope, man. I, I love it, man. And I love that story, right? Because it's, 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 um, you really were a student of the game, right? Before you decided to. I love that saying. Yes. I, I, it bothers my wife the amount of time I spent on the internet and reading weird old guys' videos. And, yeah. But, but yeah. you, and, and it's applicable today. And I know we, we might switch gears for a second. We're going to come back through. But it's funny. You said I'm a finance guy. And I think that's what it, that's what it is. Cause you and I are both finance guys, right? And we both just happen to be, you know, in our thirties, right? Which, which means we're not married to the old system, but we're still finance guys. And so, and, and I'm saying that in the context of, I have some buddies who are, who are tech and some people on social media who are, you know, new investors. And, 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 and you're probably like me, you studied history and you understand that, you know, tech guys can, at the end of a bubble, they always get super cocky and, 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 and they're like, you don't got to believe in cash flows. It's all about the future. And I'm like, but bro, this happens like every cycle. Like, what are you talking about? At the end of, like for thousands of years, we've bought assets based on cash flow, right? Things get out of whack when there's too much money in the system. But eventually like that, that doesn't happen. And, and then you guys go from the top of the Forbes list to the bottom, right? And wow. it just keeps happening over and over again. And, and not to pick on tech guys, but I'm just saying... You know, yeah. the, the amount of hubris in the market that looks at finance guys like dinosaurs. And I'm like, but bro, like, I'm not I'm not buying Tesla that's that's making profit based on credits. You know what I'm saying? I'm not buying oh, GameStop. And, 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 and this is separate from the fact that I think what the what the establishment did with GameStop was wrong as far as like limiting trading and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just right. saying, you know, there's a lot of folks making reckless investments thinking that they know what they're doing. Uh, yeah, it's I think that's one of the things that you know, that I love about this business is that people can decide that eyeballs matter or subscribers matter or clicks matter or whatever the metric is. We can pick any metric and value anything off any metric. But at the end of the day, in my experience, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it through my investments in the stock market. At the end of the day, a business has to generate cash, either whether they generate it from raising debt, raising equity, Nonstop, that's one way to do it. Right? <laughs> that's the Tesla model. Uh, or, yeah, right, exactly. Or you actually generate it from customers. Um, in my experience, the, the businesses that get it from their customers, that kind of, they last. I mean, there's only so much equity you can give out, there's only so much debt you can put on, you know. So for me, it's always been, you know, it's always been about the cash flow. You know, as long as there's cash flow, there's value, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. Really about, it's really just about, in my view, paying a reasonable multiple of this cash flow. Facts, facts. So, um, so the, the process, and I know there's a lot involved in buying, you know, buying a, a company, but can, can you walk me through like the big picture steps of, I, if I were to say, all right, I think I want to buy, you know, a company, like what do I do first? Um, 
So for me, I'm a little different because I didn't have, I wasn't married to anything. So my M&A experience was healthcare, energy, telecom, you know, everything, right? So I, I never had like, a, oh, I want to own this kind of business. If you can start out there, that'd be great. But for me, it was really, I, I you know, I, I wanted the kind of business that a lot of my peers, you know, the, the Harvard Business School guys weren't really looking at. Um, and it's a lot of just industrial stuff, dirty stuff. I mean, the company I bought is a forklift battery seller and and servicer. So we resell batteries on behalf of manufacturers, forklift batteries specifically. And we also service them when they need servicing. I mean, that's, it's very, you know, again, these are lead acid batteries, you know, lithium ion is coming down the pipe, but right now everybody runs on lead acid to run their electric forklifts. So for me, it's about as essential as it gets. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're Amazon, it doesn't matter how many orders you and I put through, if the forklift is down, nothing is getting shipped. Facts. It's just, you know, the volume that these guys are moving, you can't, like you, you could throw 20 people at it. It would take them weeks. What would take a forklift, you know, a couple of days to just move around and get on a truck and get going, you know, cause I've, I've seen this, some of these distribution centers, but anyway, I digress, but yeah, so start with an industry that you like, or if you don't, or if you don't have, you know, a preference for me, it was more about, so there's a book that kind of raised me called margin of safety. Um, mm, I love that book. Seth, Seth yeah. Klarman. Seth Klarman. Yes. That, that literally, I've read that book probably four times. I, I literally have it in PDF form. It's so like, it's so throwback, but you know, margin of safety. So for me, it's margin of safety in a business. And that margin of safety comes from, okay, how, for lack of a better term, essential is the business. You know what I mean? Something like material handling and, you know, putting Cokes and Budweiser's on a truck, pretty essential. Getting food to Kroger, pretty essential. Um, you know, I try to get as close to stuff like that. You know, the old company I worked for, aerospace parts, very essential. Defense, very essential. You know what I mean? So that's where I start. Then, you know, obviously you want to look at how much money you have or how much money you've raised um, and go and, you know, kind of size the opportunity according to that. Me doing it with my own money, I was obviously very limited in what I could, you know, go after or purchase, you know, unless I wanted to go the route of raising additional equity, which then, you know, too many cooks, in my opinion. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I sized it to, you know, my budget. Um, and then basically, you just honestly, you get on the Internet, talk to people. There's a lot of businesses out there, particularly for people looking at smaller businesses. You know, there's a ton of businesses that are sub, you know, two million bucks. The problem is you'll have to wade through a lot. You'll have to look through a lot. You know, a lot of pizza parlors, a lot of beauty shops, things of that nature that you'll have to wade through. Um, but there's, you know, you can find an opportunity. And once you do that, you know, it's about, you know, I went the SBA route, which literally you could do a podcast on the SBA route. Hmm. Um you know, so I went the SBA route, which basically they kind of run off of the tax returns of the business, which is good too. It provides some cover because no one's going to inflate their revenue to the IRS. Right. <laughs> you just don't do that. So on the one side, you're good on, okay, the business probably is making what they're saying they're making because no one's going to lie about how much money they're right. making to the IRS. They might lie to you, but they're not going to lie to the IRS. Um, so that's what, you know, so you start there, you look at the tax returns, make sure, you know, you have enough debt coverage because you're probably going to do a 10 year loan at, you know, 6% kind of thing. Make sure there's, there's sufficient cash flow to cover that. And then, you know, then you have a pretty good shot of getting it done. Um, mm. Kind of, you know, that's kind of what it is. And then 
that's a ton of work. It takes a while. It took me, you know, better part of two years probably to mm-hmm. find the right deal. But again, God's timing is the best. Um, so and, 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 and when you're doing the deal, because I imagine, at least on my end, when I'm advising business owners, a lot of them are a little, are a little proud of their uh, business valuation. So I know, you know, how, how do you deal with bringing them down to reality? Oh, yeah, that is, that honestly, I, I'm glad you brought that up. That is actually the hardest part of getting a deal done a lot of times. I somehow found the two guys that were very aware of like their limitations. And it's probably because, they, you know, I don't know, they'd run the business for about 17 years, but they were very aware that like, look, this is kind of what it is. We know what's out there, but like that's going to require X, Y, Z, and we're just not trying to do all that. So, the, I mean, I gave them what they asked for. There was no, you know, decent multiple, about just seven, three times. So can't really argue with that. Um, and, you know, they were aware. But, yeah, with regards to sellers and their, the valuations they put on there, I mean, what you have a lot of times as a buyer is you kind of have the bank can kind of be the bad guy is what I do. Right? Mm. It's like, look, it's not because at the end of the day, it's true. The bank has the money. Like I have equity, but like the rest of the money is going to come from the bank. So at the end of the day, the bank calls the shots. No different than if I come to you and say, Hey, I want to buy your house. You and I could say, yeah, let's do it for a million bucks. <laughs> the yeah. bank says, no, no, no. It's 500,000. Guess what? You're getting 500,000. Right. Right. Um, so it's the same idea with these businesses. I mean, the best way to do it, honestly, to kind of, increase your chances of success, I think, is understand what the bank's looking for, what the bank's comfortable with, you know, things of that nature, what their ratios are, et cetera. And then just, you know, let that guy, you know, let that drive the process because also you're not going to waste time because I've wasted a lot of time trying to convince a guy to come down or convince a bank to go up. That never works. It's just got to be, look, this is what the, you know, you go to the bank, Hey, what do you need? We need this much debt, uh, debt service coverage. Okay, fine. You go look at the tax return. Does it provide that much? Yes, it does. Okay, you move forward again. And then the bank will come back to you pretty quick to say, okay, we like it. Again, as long as you're in their you know, little guidelines there, they'll come back to you and let you know pretty quick. And then you go to the seller with that and say, hey, this is kind of where they are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's happened to me. The guy's just like, no, 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 but I have this. I'm like, look, dude, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I just don't. Like, I'm, I'm on a mission here. I don't have time for this. This is what you're going to get. Right. Given that, because again, there are different buyer markets, right? A small guy like me, I can only give you what the bank is okay with. Right. Private equity fund, yeah, they can give you cash. They're not going to want to, but they can give you all the cash you want if the value, if they see the value there. But if you're dealing with guys like me, it's like, no, this guy's going to a bank and the bank is calling the shots. So. But, I, but I would imagine, too, at a certain size, a private equity is probably not doing the deal that you're doing, right? Cause, Correct. I so, mean, yeah, that's, that's the other thing. Private equity is looking for, at lowest I've ever heard, was $2 million in cash flow. So a $2 million in cash flow company, I mean, if you got really, really, really lucky, you could buy it for, you know, $6 million bucks. But again, who's got $6 million in their IRA? Right, <laughs> like, right. Most guys that do are probably, you know, they own more stuff or they're doing something else. So that's, you know, that's correct. Like, yeah. So that's where the opportunities come for guys like me, where the private equity guys aren't looking because the deals are too small. But then that comes with dealing with all these funny kinds of brokers and, Mm -hmm. you know, just weird math on QuickBooks (laughs) and just, you know, just go to the tax returns. For anybody out there looking to buy a small business, just save yourself a lot of headache. Just go to the tax return. See if there if there's net income, you're already you're okay. Good, move forward. If there isn't, 
you're going to have a hell of a time well, trying and, to get the match to give and, you money. And, and I can imagine, too, a, a lot of the alpha that you generate, you know, other than buying with a margin of safety is, is like you mentioned, operational, right? Because, again, going back to my business, I, I, I meet a lot of people that are, you know, they're, they're smart people. They did a good job building the business. They got it to a certain point. But, you know, it's like it's like um, John Maxwell, Law of the Lid, right? You, your organization can only grow to the level of leadership where you are, right? And, and at that point, you got an option. You can hire some fancy consultants, which a lot of them don't know what they're doing. Uh, right. And so you got to figure that out. Or you could sell it to somebody who can take it from, you know, this revenue to the next revenue. And so I, right. the operational kind of, I'm assuming, is how you make your money, too, because you got that experience, which is what you said, but... Yes, yes. So that's kind of where the fun is for me. It's kind of taking what what's there and growing more and building, you know, adding more cash flow to it. And that's correct. That's through the operators. It's through a system and process driven approach. I always preach that, you know, there needs to be a system and process for damn near everything. Yeah. So it's hiring people. I'm learning that the hard way. You know, you think hiring people should be easy enough. It's like, okay, can I afford what he wants? You bring it. No. Um, so it's a system and process for pretty much everything, whether it's Issuing a quote, hiring someone, paying a bill, uh, everything, like literally every ordering supplies. Like you need a system and process ideally for as much as possible just to keep it because the consistency in cash flow and the consistency in performance comes from a consistency in your systems and processes and in your operations. If, mm-hmm. if your team knows that, okay, when a PO comes in, this is what exactly needs to happen, and this is how we do it every time, then you don't get that variability. You don't get things getting lost. You don't, you know, the training is a lot simpler because what Philip understands is exactly what Adi understands. And then when Bob comes in, Philip and Adi are saying the same thing, so Bob doesn't get confused when he's moving up the learning curve. So it's really about just, you know, consistency in everything, and the hardest part really is prioritizing. Mm. Because literally, I've got 50 ideas in my head of how this company could grow. But then when I turn, you know, when I calm down and look at what I've got on ground, it's like you can't even address anything beyond numbers, you know, three and four. So then, you know, I prioritize to say, okay, given that I want to do these 50 things, what are the most important? It's always prioritizing. So I'm constantly keeping my, I always have a list of three things that I work Mm -hmm. on every week that get me to the next, you know, level, whether it's, okay, I got to make sure my QuickBooks are right so that I can go ask for a line of credit. Okay. That's what you're doing. That's item number one, or I need a technician because I'm not able to go service this customer in this location regularly. I'm passing on that job or I have to push it out a couple of days, which doesn't, you know, that's not great customer service. Right. So, okay, well hire a technician. That's what you're doing this week. What does that mean? Okay. Put an add on indeed. Okay. So then I'm sitting here, typing up a job rack, putting it on Indeed, and then, like, waiting patiently. It's literally down to that, you know, that point. It's no different than, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge L.A. Lakers guy. I've been since, you know, 91 when Magic was coaching, by the way. Not playing, coaching <laughs> is when I became a fan. So, you know, it was grim. Uh, so, I just love Kobe, just that dedication, that focus. That, man. And that's really what it is because a lot of days I'm just sitting here like, man, this is not what I thought I would be doing and not what necessarily is bringing in money. But like I said, you just have to prioritize and get things in place to allow you to get where you want to go. No different. I'm sure you've edited your own content. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure you've gone and driven to Best Buy to buy a mic, and then you realize, oh, it's the wrong mic. Now you got to drive back and get the other one because that one doesn't have the feedback. And you know what I mean? Like, 
you can't outsource that stuff. That's one of those things, you know what I mean? Is you just can't, you got to be in the gym. Like you have to shoot the free throws. You have to make the phone calls. You have to put the deck together. Somebody asked Kobe, where'd the confidence come from? And he said, uh, he said, um, preparation right and that i mean you, you hit on now with, with the podcast i went through doing my own stuff until and now i outsource it to the best audio engineer in texas but i was only able to find the best one because i knew i knew what i would do if i were doing it myself then i was just like i you know i don't want to do it no more let me hire somebody who can do it the way that i would do it and better because they they get it versus being fooled by some you know some some person yeah and that's part of it that's what that does right it's no different so now when i go into a conversation I'm obviously not the expert. I know what I know. And what I know, I'll be honest, is very narrow. <laughs> so I know what I know. But when I go into a conversation with an accountant or a Salesforce developer or a marketer, I know exactly what I want. And I, and I can have a, you know intelligent conversation about where I'm trying to go. Yep. And then if, they, if they give me advice, when they give me advice and make a recommendation, I can still, you know, having done all the kind of grunt work a little bit, I can understand if this even makes sense. You know what I mean? Facts. So, 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 so on that on that note, because we sounds we sound like we read a lot of the same books. I'm a big eighty twenty guy, four hour work week. I try to be like intentionally lazy, is what I call it. Meaning, gotcha. if if I built a good system, I'll get some slack in my schedule until it gets built up again, and I'm like, all right, time to build a better system for my business so I could, you know, mm-hmm. not not be lazy, but I don't function well when I'm busy, right? Mm-hmm. When I'm like back to back busy, I'm like something's wrong. If I'm like stressed and super busy. I can miss stuff. I can make mistakes. I'm like, I need it. My system is off, right? So, um, but but I can imagine, um, you know, we see the world in a in a narrow view. And here's something I thought about, and I'm sure you thought about it. I was like, there are tons. This is even before COVID. There are tons of businesses sub two million, like you mentioned, and I, and I'm thinking like boring businesses, like cleaners. Barbershops, like you said, industrial places, uh, real estate firms, like small wealth management firms that can just be rolled up by small operators by just saying, hey, let's let's bring, like you said, processes in place and everybody can make a lot of money. Right. The, you know, the 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 operator can, you know, uh, like people don't people don't realize you don't have to sell your whole business. You can retain some ownership and, 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 and ride the upside of of the good operator taking it to the next level. So, I mean, do you see that too? Like sub 2 million, it's tons of, like it yeah, hasn't even that, been touched. Correct. And that was literally the strategy was, you know, again, with the golf thing, it was at a higher level, but it was the same idea. You know, we took five management companies, rolled them into one, you know, it's the same idea on my side where I'm taking this little business, this million dollar, million and a half dollar business here and trying to acquire all the other guys that are in similar situations. You know, there's tons of businesses, but, like you said, the only way to scale, which is the term people use, is with system and process and through things being the exact same and repeatable. And, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a, it's tough. And then, you know, different businesses, the reason why businesses like tech businesses are very appealing is because you can get machines to do stuff. Machines don't get sick. Machines don't, you know, you, you, you type them, you say two, and then you put three in the other cell that comes out five the other end. Like, you know, you love that about machines, but Machines aren't as dynamic as people and they don't have, you know, but they also don't come with the issues that come with people, which I think is where that's kind of where a lot of my learning is happening and needs to happen. Like you said, we read, you know, I've read pretty much every investment book, you know, I followed, you know, the Howard Marks of the world and those guys. I'm very, I'll be honest, I'm very, very narrow in what I read. Um, it's usually financial news, honestly. Um, 
but really now it's kind of like you said, right? As your business grows, you're, you have to change and adapt and grow also. So for me, you know, being an Excel junkie was fine, you know, in my twenties, but then, you know, learning how to talk to a group of guys that are working in a warehouse started to become more of the skill set that I needed. And now it's like, hell, I don't even know. It's like, I got to figure out a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> I mean, now it's like really like really getting people to first build the right team. Cause you know, again, I read books about business success and how they, you know, it all kind of starts with the right team because the team can then execute on the plan and then you can then diligence the plan and iterate on it as you go through but it's tough to do it without the right people. So right now I'm just really investing a lot of time and trying to find the right people and then putting, you know, a system in place that, you know, the people can understand mm-hmm. some of that, too. you know, you don't want too much complexity, particularly when you're dealing with, you know, something like a business like mine, where you're, you're pretty almost like an HVAC person is almost like mm-hmm. you think of it like that. It's the closest thing to it would be an HVAC repair place i think yep, probably yep. Place, which you know. which was like you said it's a it's a lot of money in there because there's no there's yeah. no really good op, you know no really good operators that could that yeah. can yeah. you know it's, it's a service you know that's the thing about the business that i like too it's service like mm-hmm. and you can i can always price you know like you you can always price the this microphone versus that microphone but how do you price the fact that like when you send the audio it's going to come back clean Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't you know, price that. When you ask for, you know, a brochure or like flyers that they come back like you can't price that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where, you know, like your audio guy makes makes a difference. That's why I like service businesses because you can't price service. Yep. You can always price the product, always. Always. But you never price service. So that's another thing for anybody looking at businesses. I think service-based businesses are good because there's good margin. Product-based are better in the way that they're easier. Like, it's very easy for me to just have a bunch of iPhones in a warehouse, get orders from the internet, and then start shipping them off. That's a lot easier than, you know, trying to find the right technician that actually knows how to do things and won't crash your truck and isn't on drugs. And it's just, because, you know, yeah, because these pro- are real things. These yeah. are real things that happen. And, uh, and like I said, I'm learning the hard way that, you know, you have to literally put a system for everything. And like you said, on service price becomes a non-issue, right? I mean, I'm at the, I'm right. at the point where if, if you're reliable and you can do it and I can trust you, I mean, charge me what you're going to charge me, right? Within reason. And that's With, yeah. Within reason. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've read so many books where it's like literally like price. I forget the, I think it's Mike Weinberg is a really good author, by the way, to anybody out there. Mike He's Weinberg. on sales. But his, uh, I think it was called New Sales Simplified is the book I read. I've, I've read them all, but I think that was the main one. Mike Weinberg, he's like a sales and mar- a sales guy. And, you know, they've they've done extensive research on customers and customers put price like, I think it's number 11. <laughs> it was either 8 or 11. One of those numbers was where price came in with regard, like how they choose and what makes them make a decision. And it was at the top that was like, you know, expertise, and then, you know, kind of understanding where the customer's going, you know. So price, that's the thing. That's why I like service, like I said. It's just, you know, you can compare prices, but you can't really compare expertise, service, you know, thinking about things in the right way and understanding your customer's needs. Those are the things that, you know, I think make a difference. Yeah. All right. A couple, couple more questions. I'll let you go. Yep. So what, what would you say 
the role in this business of uh, of mentors, right? So, you know, I, I, what I think about is somebody hears this and they say, oh, I can, I can listen to this, go read some books, come off the street and go do this deal. Like, what, what role do, mentor, do mentors play in you getting to where you are today? None. Zero. Mm. Absolutely none. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, none. I mean, no, none. Mm-hmm. None. It's because at the end of the day, it's the same thing. Again, back to Kobe. Kobe was hounding Jordan, but, and Jordan, you know, but Jordan telling him, hey, make sure like you, you push him towards the, the, the baseline because that's the sixth defender. Hey, Jordan saying that isn't going to do anything. Right. Jordan calling Phil Jackson and say, hey, pick Kobe in the draft. Like, that's not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, Kobe has to, again, be in the gym, shoot the shots, lift the weights, you know, watch the tape. Like, you know, a, a mentor is great in the sense of, I don't even know. I've just never really had one. It's just one of those things where like, as I've wanted to do things and found things interesting, I've sought the knowledge myself. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you'll ask someone who's in the field, like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about it. Here's how I view it. What am I missing? Because there's always going to be stuff. You know, because the thing is, as a young guy, you don't know what you don't know. Right. You know, or you may know what you don't know. So that's where mentors come in, if you will. Yeah. So, like, I've never had a guy that I that I go call so he can go call some director. Like, that's not. Right. It's, that's not. Um, that has happened for me, but it's happened. Why? Because someone's noticed and say, hey, this Adi kid is actually pretty sharp. Yep. He's doing the work. He's coming in on time. He hasn't lost us a bunch of money. And he wants to, you know, he you know, he wants to go, the particular example I'm talking about is Harvard Business School. He wants to go to this place. Let's see what we can do. You know what I mean? Yep. You still, you have to do the work. I don't, you know, well, well, I'm well, not let, mentors well, or anything well, like that. Well, you know what? Let, let, let me clarify it because I'm like you. I don't know if I had like a mentor, but I, I also consider people mentors where, like for example, before I made the move to to wealth management, the the, yeah. the the biggest wealth manager in Dallas for the company I was with, he was managing three hundred million dollars. I said, "So hey, Chris, can, can I take you to lunch and like pick your brain on on wealth yeah. management?" It was just when I was selling products, so we like a three hour lunch, and he kind of broke it down. He kind of broke it down for me, and that was like the extent of our conversation. But I consider Chris a mentor because I saw the information he gave it to me. It wasn't an ongoing uh, relationship, yeah. you know. And then I went to Seventh Harvest for two years and. We managed about ninety million dollars together, and uh, and Earl might be the closest thing to a mentor because we still talk. But I don't know if he says, "Philip, you should do this." It's just more, "Hey, Earl, I'm about to get an audit. Like, you know, what, what should, should I be afraid of?" You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Okay. In that case, yes, certainly. I've definitely talked to all kinds <laughs> of people. Um. Those people will generally be, like I said. You can find people in the field, maybe people who went to Harvard, people who went to Princeton. A lot of guys I honestly learned from are people that I worked for. Um, you, I learned a lot of what to do, particularly early in my career. I worked for, at Takana Capital, I worked for two really solid guys, Kevin Cavanaugh and Chris DeLong. Very solid guys, very humble guys, very successful guys. Um, but, you know, they always treated me very fairly. Always, I mean, Chris, Chris, Chris would... Chris would say things and he wouldn't realize he was putting you up on game kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just one of those things. Like he would just kind of, you know, like, and he would, he would use like the Simpsons to like relate it. You know what I mean? He'd say, Oh yeah. It's like when Homer did this and you'd be like, what? Like, <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right though. You know, anyway. So yeah, it's a lot, a lot of learning from people that I've worked with. Sometimes you'll learn stuff that not to do. Yeah, I've learned what not to do from working with some people. Um, but yeah, even the guy I worked for, I mean, you know, again, He's a friend, like where I was chief operating officer, we're the exact same age. He's a friend. I wouldn't consider him a mentor, but he's definitely taught me a bunch yeah. about how to deal with vendors and just sales and 
you know, salespeople and things of that nature. This is a guy that's my age, you know, um, that I consider just a personal friend. Yeah. Um, well, you no. know, and then there's been bosses where they've said, no, look, like if you want to do that, you need to do it this way. You know, there's been that, but it's usually been kind of on the job and a lot of doing my own research. You can find people. I have cold called or cold emailed hedge fund managers back in the day to be like, Hey, you know, I'm interviewing at a hedge fund. Like what should I talk about? What would you do? You know, that kind of, I've done that, you know, and I've never met these people and they'll explain it. So it's just seeking information and, you know, I guess coming to the table with the right questions, I guess, has been the kind of mentorship I've gotten has been people in the industry, people I've worked well, with. Well, and, and, and you hit it on now. Uh, you said seeking out information because that's, I think that people, people say I want a mentor, right? And they don't realize that it's not like somebody agreeing to meet you for breakfast, you know, because people, people are busy. And like you said, I, um, in 2015, when Robert Smith came out, I saw a New York Times article I shot him a, a, a nice email, not asking for nothing, but understanding how to approach somebody like that. And he had his second in command call me, and we chopped Ooh, it up for an hour. Number? <laughs> I know, right? We, we we chopped it up for an hour, and uh, and he, this is before I launched Stonehill too. And they kind of you know helped me on my path without even knowing. But 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 yeah, because and the reason why I asked the question because I, I I figured I figured um not mentors but people have helped because you know one of the biggest things that um. You know, whenever I'm trying to talk to somebody about educating themselves on money, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you, I mean, yeah, read the stuff on the internet, right? That's cool. Uh, and read the books. But I think what's equally important is the people you associate with. You know what I'm saying? Like the people that you're talking, like you said, in peer to peer, like I got a homie who runs a hedge fund and I was like, hey, bro, I want to get into crypto. Do I need to do a hedge fund or should I just run it as a managed account? And he was like, well, I started a hedge fund, and here's how much money you really need. If I were you, I'd just do a managed account. That's my homie. Like, we grew up together playing basketball. But even he, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm I'm able to, like, it's powerful, and it's a small conversation, and you know, from a time standpoint. But, like, the people, if you're associating with people who are like, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to pick on a profession, but, you know what I'm saying? They they do X Y Z, which is not in, in in what you're doing. They're giving you opinion on it, and you're taking the opinion, but you're right. not associating people who are doing it or who have done it. Like you're probably going to lose at doing what you're yeah. trying to do. Yeah, it's it's the it's one. Yeah, you definitely have to educate yourself, talk to the right people, and you know, you know, I hate to go there, but again, people of our demographic, you know, a lot of times when you step in, people already think you can't do it, or you know, you're not qualified, or you know, this is with a Harvard MBA or not. Like, it's all just levels, right? So I've had people tell me straight up, like, yeah, you doubled their revenue, but, like, you you weren't the owner, so how do I know you did it? So I was mm. lying. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what? Like, I've got the money here for it, but I'm lying? Like, what? But, you know, so you have to come really, you know, it's, it's really just doing the work and having that belief in yourself and really, really getting to the point, like, you know, like Nip says, like, like I'm really about to, like, I'm really about to, you know, I'm down to die behind what I'm getting at right now. Like, this is, you know, for me, it's very much, you know, it's a lot of this also isn't just about money for me. It's not just about, you know, saying I'm the boss. A lot of it is just being able to, you know, provide a life potentially for my family and having time. Because guys like me, you know, I could be making more money just working for someone right. at a fund. Or I could have stayed in New York and 
probably have a much greater network. I definitely would have a much higher network. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but again, it's just want, it's just what you want for yourself. And I wanted to own a business. I wanted to be able to, you know, you know, make waffles and, you know what I mean? Go to the park at two with my daughter and do these things and, you know, mess, you know, annoy my wife during the day. You know, I've always wanted to kind of do those things, but yeah, it's just really, you know, the only thing I just tell people all the time is like, you have to, you really have to do the work and, you know, mentors are great. They'll give you the info, but at the end of the day, your mentor, oddly enough, like when you're prepared, like you said, back to preparation, when you're prepared and people know that, okay, yeah, this guy or gal has put the work in and is ready and has an understanding. And, you know, my old boss says, if you don't know more than your critics, then you're unprepared. Mm. So it's one of those, you got to be there in one way or another, whether it's as trivial as, you know, what's the answer to this question or something as big as, well, if a pandemic breaks out, how are you going to handle it? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's literally like it could be anywhere in between. So it's really just putting the work in, getting the preparation, understanding kind of where you want to be. And I found that getting an understanding of where other people are coming from and what, you know, back to your thing, I'm sure this is, you know, because this is about doing deals. I think, you know, a lot of what, you know, I've learned is, you know, you can, you can get where you're going by just finding out what the other guy wants. I mean, a lot of times, eventually when I, you know, when you come into negotiations initially, it's like, well, okay, I got to get the lowest price because he's trying to get the highest price, but it's always been easier for me to be like, okay, how much do you want? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. If you want this based on what I've talked to the bank about, cause again, the bank wants to do the deal, right? Like they don't want to not, yeah. you know, they make money doing deals. So, okay, you want this, but based on your cash flow, which is in the tax return, which is what the bank uses, they're only really going to give us this. So this is kind of it. Like, are you good with that or are you not? And once you bring that, people will be like, okay, he's not just trying to screw me. He really has gone out and, oh, wow, it's actually on the paper with on bank letterhead saying this is the number. You know, then things start to kind of happen for you because they know that you've done the, I don't know, there's just, there's no substitute for being in the gym. That's just why, you know, it's just, I can't stress it enough. It's just, that's why I love Kobe because he was just, wasn't very social, you know, initially, you know, people were like, oh, he's this weird, you know, foreign kid, which again, I'm kind of a weird foreign kid myself. So <laughs> maybe that's why, but yeah, it's just, you have to do the free throws. Solitude, solitude is, is a big part of it. You're, you're in your head a lot. You're thinking through things a lot. You can't necessarily bounce things off people a lot. You've got your, your doubts, your anxieties, but you have to be mentally strong. Yeah. No, I, 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 and, and your personality profile and his and mine is, if you, if you, if you haven't done a dish profile, I'm sure you're probably a D because when you said it wasn't about the money, I was like, yeah, you're like me. It's more about the, it's, it's about the challenge, about the challenge. Like in, in business, and my wife was like, Philip, why do you fight? You know, cause I started doing more time fighting. She was like, and I, okay. and I, and I competed and I, I've won them all. She's like, why are you doing, do you like hurting people? And I was like, I was like, no, nah. I said, it's, it's like business. Like fighting is like more mental than physical, right? It's, it, and, and, and to me, it's the ultimate competition, right? Because if I play you in basketball and you beat me in basketball, a lot of fights break out because you're like, well, you beat me in basketball, you can't beat me up in real life. Like in a fight, <laughs> if I beat you in a fight, I want a competition and you know I can beat you. And after I beat you, there's ultimate respect. Like you don't want, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. pe- people who are better than me, I don't, I don't, I don't want to fight them. Like that's, I, I, the competitive spirit is, you know, I want, I have drive to get better, but it's like the yeah. ultimate competition. So, um, but it, 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 it's like the competition, right? It's not about the money. It's like, yeah. can I do it? Can you do it? Yeah. It's, it's like that. 
it's that you know there's a lot of similarities there. Yes, like can I do it? Because I've been talking a lot of a lot of a lot of mess about how smart I am and all these schools I went to, and it's like all right, well, all right, well here, you know, like okay, here's a company. Like, can you do it? Like you've been talking all this, you know. So here, can I do it? And that's part of it is also like, can I actually get this? Can I actually scale this business? I've done it in other places, but you yeah. know, you had different resources and you weren't the guy, right? Heavy is the head, right? So yeah, yeah. that's there's part of that too. That's kind of the challenge. It's like I've got a couple trophies, but now it's it's almost like it's almost like Brady. So I love Brady. <laughs> like, can you go off to? Tampa Bay, this new town with this crazy coach and this and this wild wide receiver, and can you go to the Super Bowl? You know, can you get there? Right? And 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 and, and he and he did it. Hey, and for my new listeners, just so you know, I'm not fighting the street. I'm doing Muay Thai. These are tournaments. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, doing, don't run up on. Yeah, Philly. I'm not. I, but if you do run up in the street, yeah, I can throw. I can throw. El- I can throw elbows in the street. I can't throw them in my tournament, so you might get ended quick. Um, yeah. But uh, but so interesting, man, that you do that. So are you a big UFC guy? Nah, Muay Thai is different than UFC. It's it's and it's different than boxing. It's probably more like boxing than, than UFC. Uh in, really? yeah, in the sense where it's more of a technical, you know, technical business. Be- beautiful. It's a it's a it's a beautiful art. Uh I think UFC fighter striking is ugly. Um <laughs> but um it's it's a beautiful art, but it's it's you know, you got boxing gloves on and you and but you can kick. But I, it, it was a pandemic hobby, right? In the pandemic, I was like, I'm going to get depressed watching Netflix all day. I have to do something. So my homie had went to Thailand uh, for four years and fought. And so we did virtual with me and my son. I picked it up and then just started competing. But that's a... No, that's cool. That's... Man, I wish... When was... Did I even have a pandemic? Thank goodness. I, had a, I mean, I, I've, I've done a little more running in the pandemic, but I have not done anything cool in the, the pandemic my pandemic hobby has been this damn stock market <laughs> i've been i've been glued to that thing like it's just it's amazing to me what is i'm not, i haven't participated in a lot of it in terms of bitcoin and all that i've just made money kind of the traditional way you know apple starbucks that stuff yeah but I, i'm just glued that's amazing to me like what's happening i think it's i think it's fantastic i think that the average guy being able to get in the market and you know, push the big guy. And you're talking about a guy who grew up with the big guys. Like I literally uh-huh. paid my education by working at a hedge fund. And I think it's, I think it's great that the little guy kind of, yep. you know, that's why I love the internet. The internet has just democratized so much. Absolutely. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. So sorry to get in your business. What's like the, how does a podcast fit? Cause I could have sworn you were like a money manager of sorts. Y- yeah. So how, how does the podcast fit? I like it though. I love that. Like, there's this stuff that comes out every week and it's got voices. Yeah, so 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 if you look at like the largest RIAs right now, right, the ones that are managing billions and billions of dollars, right? If you look back 30 years ago, all the big RIAs or wealth managers today, they were the ones that were early to putting content on like either like their own radio show, right? Yeah. Um, or they were CNBC contributors. Because CNBC is only like, what, 30 years old. So they were, yeah, yeah. They were like early to putting content on there. So my deal was, Cool. The internet is free. Uh, um, I just produce my own content and build my brand, and and so and so it works, right? Because if I meet somebody at a networking event or somewhere, I got content to put on social media, or they listen, right? And I and I probably directly, indirectly, not even probably, I do directly and indirectly get something like like seventy percent of my business from from the podcast, right? Because it's more like if you if you meet somebody who's a financial advisor, you put them in a box, right? Mm-hmm. But, but then me is like. You meet me, we go on social media, you see my content, 
and you go, let me check this guy out. And you're like, yeah. wait a minute, this guy is like pretty smart. And so I go in a box that no other advisor goes in, right? Which is a good recall box because if they need somebody or somebody asks them a question or need a referral, that's when they right. say, oh, yeah, right. you know, this guy. Well, last question. Who, who, who'd you pick? I think I know who's going to be on, on next Sunday, but who you got? Oh, dude, Brady, come on. <laughs> I love the thing. Again, it's, I love Mahomes. Mahomes is great. But again, like to me, Mahomes is a super talented kid that also got a lot. He was, you know, in a way, in a weird way, you know, my old boss used to say born on third base. Like it's really awesome being as, as amazing as Pat Mahomes. And then you get Andy Reid. You get Travis Kelsey, you get Tyreek. It's like, come on, dude. Like, it's like the Golden State Warriors at this point with yeah. KD. Yeah. They're, they look like a basketball team. They're not even playing football. <laughs> you know, but Brady, it's just, it's just that the thing with me with Brady is the consistency. Back to again, back to the consistency of effort, excellence, all that. You know, I've watched documentaries on him, just his eating habits and the way he's able to watch film. And he just does this every day, every day. Like Kobe used to get up at four or five. Work out, do everything, get back home by eight, drop his daughters off consistently. It's the consistency that gets me with Brady. So I'm going with the Buccaneers on this one. Nice, nice. Well, cool. I appreciate your time. If, if anybody is interested in, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm sensitive to like your time, but if if somebody's interested in finding out more about maybe even selling your business to you, coming or you know, entertaining somebody did that you might be useful for, what's the best way for folks to uh, uh, to reach out to you? Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk to anybody. They can call me on the phone. Um, you have my email. Um, you know, there's, there, are, there are only so many Okanubis on LinkedIn. So, you know, you punch it in, you hit Dallas, you're probably going to get me and that's it. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm happy to talk to anybody about selling their business, buying it, whatever it is they want to do, or if they need some advice on, you know, private equity or stocks or, you know, again, finance stuff like you know, they can probably talk to you about that also. So, yeah, I'm All happy right. to talk to anybody. So, so LinkedIn, check them out. Check them out on LinkedIn. And y'all. if anybody knows any kind of battery technicians out there, please. <laughs> battery technicians, electricians, anything, anybody with some electrical aptitude, uh, you know, again, it's consistency. I'm looking for the same thing in my people. Like, you don't have to be – I want the best athlete. So you don't have to know everything about batteries, but you just have to be reliable, consistent. I want the best athletes. That's another thing I learned from my old boss, Blake Walker. Shout out to him. He taught me a lot. Um, best athletes on the field, consistency, accountability. That's it. But, well, I definitely appreciate you, man. Thanks for thanks for being on thanks, this bro. show. Those of you who haven't been there, my website, go to stonehillwealthmanagement.com. Click on the 401k tab. We got a Stonehill 401k service that you've probably heard about. It's great for businesses that are small businesses, businesses between zero and maybe 150 employees. Uh, we provide love and service to the employees about how to plan and invest for retirement and a whole host of other uh, benefits that we give. It's all on the site. Check it out, stonehill401k.com. We create startup plans and help with selecting the investments and educating and advising our clients on how to invest and how to best reach their retirement goals. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk.
Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.